Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I just want to take a moment and let you know uh, some things coming up in our community. This time of year is still a good time to get involved in the ministries of the church through serving. And at our services on the weekend uh, on site, there are serve tables where you can get more information about areas to serve and where we have the most urgent needs. You can also visit our website, southviewchurch.com slash serve, and just be prayerfully considering uh, how you could use your gifts to be a part of the community at Southview. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint. You can find a link to our viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast. And if you're new with us in this digital space, we would love to hear from you. You can find an online connection card at the bottom of the viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. Additionally, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now today, no matter how you're joining with us, may our hearts be open and expectant because God is here and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. Hello, friends. Hello. Glad you are here today. And for those joining online as well, uh, glad we can be joined together. And before we turn to our focus and our text today, I just want to mention something for our Southview family. If you're a newcomer visitor with us, don't worry about that. Just count the lights up up there or something for this. Uh, But John mentioned about our fall building offering, and we do this twice a year, really. And and what is that? Well, uh, we put it this way, that our mission as an outpost of God's kingdom, we believe from God's word, is to lead as many as possible to passionately follow Jesus. That's what we believe God has called us to as an outpost of his kingdom. And really, a large chunk of that ministry for that mission happens here, really in this building. I mean, not all of it by any means, but a lot among children, youth, and adults. You know, I think many of us are are just here on weekends, so you might not know this facility is used really throughout the week, days and evenings. So this building and facility, it really enables us, for one, to reach out to and minister to our community around us. We provide tutoring programs here, community hub events. We have our stampede breakfast, block parties, much more beyond that. And it also enables us to lead, really, Lord willing, all of us in more deeply, passionately following Jesus. So this place, it is a key tool. It is a wineskin in that mission. And so I would just ask you to consider making a a special financial gift this fall to our building fund for that, to assist us really in seeing lives changed in Christ. And, And if you're wondering, three of the ways you can give towards this building fund and really regularly, for one is online. You can go to our website and look there for the giving section. You can give there. You can also do it on site. If you want to bring a physical gift, there's donation boxes in the back corners. You can go to the information center as well. Or you can give by text if you want. Just text SOUTHU at 73256 if you'd like to give that way. And, and really, thank you for considering this. And again, if you're a newcomer or visitor with us, 
don't be concerned about this. We are just thankful you're here. And so let's pray before we turn to God's Word. Will you pray with me? And Father, as John expressed, we would pray your kingdom would come, would even be expressed here in our gatherings with our friends who are joining in Lion, as it is in heaven. Lead us to you, we pray, as we come to this word, trusting you will lead us in it. And we ask it together as your people and all God's people say, Amen. Uh, we continue today in our teaching series that we've called Letters from God, which is really just the start of our study of the last book in Scripture, the book of Revelation. Now, if you were with us last week for our introduction to the series, we looked at four principles together that really, I think, can help guide us in rightly dividing and understanding this letter of Revelation. Four principles we looked at, first was circles. I know they look like squares, but remember circles. Then pastor, poet, and context. Those were the four principles. And if you weren't able to join with us for that, I would really encourage you to go to our website or YouTube and watch or listen to that teaching. I think it'll be helpful. And, and last week we also saw that this revelation to John was a revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, our English word revelation is a translation from the original Greek word apocalypsis. And that word means to reveal, to unveil. So although this book unveils many things, its primary purpose is to unveil, to reveal to us Jesus Christ and to unveil the work of Christ. That's why this letter was given to a group of seven struggling and at times unfaithful churches in Western Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey. And really, through them, it was then given to us. Okay, so let's turn to our text today, and the unveiling begins. Revelation chapter 1, at the very end of your Bible, and as we hear it, remember, friends, this is a word of God. In this is what we read. Let's pick it up in verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus and to Smyrna, to Pergamum and to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. It was... Jesus unveiled to him. Verse 17, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. 
Now, while later in the book of Revelation, John will describe to us the unveiling of Christ in his second coming glory. The unveiling, though, that we see in this passage is a revealing or a revelation of Christ in his present glory. In other words, as Daryl Johnson explains, it's not an unveiling of what God is going to be like or what he's going to do in the future. But this here, this is unveiling of what Jesus is like and what he's doing in the present. And, and that's both John's present and our present as well. And while this unveiling of Christ to John, it was certainly for the encouragement of these seven churches, and now 2,000 years later, it's an encouragement for us. But I think this first unveiling that we see here in this book of Revelation was given to John, first of all, for John. This passage we just read was first a letter from God to John really to reignite in him a fire that quite possibly had become kind of just a flickering flame and really to spur on the gifts and abilities of this faithful servant who had really possibly come to believe that his years of usefulness to kingdom causes were over. Where do you see that? Well, look again at verse 9. It says this, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos. So let's consider that island of Patmos. We know it was a barren place. It was a rocky island. It's really about 70 kilometers off the coast of Western Asia Minor. And again, that's present-day Turkey out in the Aegean Sea. This map here gives you a picture of where it's at. And it was a penal colony. It was an island prison really used by the ruling Roman Empire as a place of banishment, typically including hard labor. Can you kind of picture it? So what we know is that John was a long way from home. He was a long way from the people he loves. He's a long way from what his ministry had been, and he's likely a long way from hope. You know, as we noted last week, scholars debate if this John in this book was John the Apostle or if it could have possibly been another John, a John referred to as John the Elder. Well, what we do know is that this John, he was a prophet for one. As he notes here in chapter 1 and other points throughout this letter, as we'll see. And he had been in prison on Patmos because of his ministry in proclaiming the Word of God. Okay, so we understand this. John had known then the joys and challenges of serving Christ, declaring God's Word. I mean, he knew the reality and victory of Jesus Christ risen from the grave. He knew that. And if this was indeed the Apostle John, and there actually is a reasonable basis for believing it was, this was a disciple who was called the disciple whom Jesus loved. So he'd heard Jesus preach with authority, minister with grace. He'd seen him heal the sick, raise the dead. But now, what a change sitting imprisoned on the island of Patmos. I mean, 
those days of fruitful ministry and the victory, the encouragement of Christ's resurrection, you can imagine it likely seemed in the long-distant past. And at the time of the writing in this book, he is also decades removed from the joy of the Holy Spirit's coming at Pentecost. So this book was lightly written somewhere around 60 years after that incredible day of Pentecost where the church was formed. And now he's banished to a prison island. Isolated exile, forced to suffer, not death like all of the other disciples, but John was condemned to apparent uselessness. He was sentenced, really, to irrelevance, aloneness. Couldn't use his prophetic gifts, which were likely considerable. Really couldn't preach the gospel or enjoy the fellowship of his fellow Christ followers. I mean, he just was cut off from the community of faith. And and also the exhilaration of just meaningful, fruitful ministry That had faded for him now. Now, some of you might connect with this and perhaps even feel like "Eh, it's something of a picture of your own walk with Christ. Maybe the excitement of when you first came to Christ and really that expectancy of what lies ahead. Maybe that could be really contrasted with what you're feeling or experiencing now. I mean, for John, what he sees and experiences each day would not so much be the exaltation of Christ. What he would see day by day is mainly the ascension and power of Rome. And also, the church appears to John, as his letter to these local churches largely expressed, the church seems to be battered, withered to John by really the seductive lifestyle and false worship of that earthly Roman kingdom. I mean, I thought God's kingdom would come. I I thought we'd do greater works in Jesus. Isn't that what he promised? And really, whether John was physically there on Pentecost or not, John knew that 3,000 souls had turned in faith to Jesus that day, just on one day. And what else is going to be ahead for us? Well, for him, now, he sits on a rock. Prison Island, and he is altogether alone. I mean, as Johnson notes, the island of Patmos represents for us, I think, the place of discouragement. I mean, that place we're forced to face alone. Unfulfilled dreams, dashed hopes. It's really the place of disillusionment, disappointment, and perhaps even anger at God. I mean, the lament of John could easily have been, but God, I was faithful. And again, we know that because we read it in verse 9. He says this, I, John, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. In other words, I am here because I faithfully declared the good news of Jesus and precisely because of my obedience and faithfulness in declaring it, I am now stuck on this island of discouragement.
Now, why some people might avoid Patmos in their lives, I think most of us, at, at one time or another, are going to spend some time on that island of discouragement. I mean, where you might feel kind of cut off from what or who you love the most, or, or maybe confused, disappointed with how things appear to have turned out. And, and really, I think especially if they started off well, started off with hope. And, and I think really we can end up on Patmos for a variety of different reasons in our life. I think many things have the power to really put us there. I mean, it could be sickness or death of ourselves or of someone we love. Divorce can put you there. Circumstances beyond your control at, at work or school or church can put you there. The betrayal or abandonment of a trusted friend can lead you there. And I'm confident of this. Some of you are there right now. And when we're on Patmos, there's a prayer we often pray. It's really quite simple. Lord, get me out of here. <laughs> right? I mean, rescue me. Fix this. Do it fast. And the thing is, sometimes he does. God does at times intervene. I mean, just read Hebrews 11, that great faith chapter. When men and women of faith escaped the edge of the sword, they were delivered by God. But sometimes God doesn't deliver, at least not in the way we want. I mean, read this same Hebrews chapter, which says that some were imprisoned, some were tortured, some were beaten, some were sawn in two, not escaping the trial. So let me ask you, do you ever wonder if it's worth it? You ever wonder, what would it be like to ask that question of characters in the Bible who lived lives of faith, like those listed here in Hebrews 11? People like Abraham. I mean, so Abraham, I mean, was it worth leaving your home, everything familiar, everything you love, to spend your one and only life wandering around as a stranger, all for the hope of a single child and an unfulfilled dream. I mean, was it worth it? Or to ask Moses, I mean, was it worth leaving the wealth, the prestige, the power of Egypt? You had all of that right in your hand and instead carry this complaining, stiff-necked people on your back through the wilderness for 40 years only to die before you even made it into the promised land. Was it worth it? Or what would it be like to ask Mary that question? Hey, Mary, are, are you glad that your response that day to the angel of the Lord was, be it done unto me just as you said? But then to conceive this child out of wedlock and for, and for your heart for him to be poured out in love, but then to have him, when he grows up, publicly say that the real members of his family are those who do his will. 
And, and far beyond that then, to stand helplessly by as you see him die on a cross, publicly humiliated, discredited. I mean, was it worth it? Or, or how about John, the author of this letter of Revelation that we're studying? I mean, was it worth it, John, spending your final words, years, when you should have been able to slow down a bit, really to put your feet up and relax a bit, enjoy the fruit of your life's work, surrounded by, by friends, those you love? But instead, you're exiled to a prison island. You are cut off from everything and everyone you knew and loved. So, John, was it worth it? And how about for you? You know, is it worth it to pursue God and to live to serve him, serve him when you really can't see the benefits or fruit of it, at least right now, perhaps? I mean, is it worth it to obey God, to speak the truth when a lie really would seem to serve you so much better? Is it worth it really to persevere, to sacrifice of your time, your talents, your treasures, to hopefully see God's kingdom expand and see his church move forward in ministry? I mean, is it worth it to invest your life in the dream of serving Christ when it feels like you're doing way more plowing and planting and weeding than you're harvesting? Is it worth it? You ever wonder? Well, you might not be wondering about that today, but in the course of life's realities and challenges, I think that's a pretty common question. And for John, he would never leave the island of Patmos. He would die there. And the physical circumstances of his life would never change. You know, just for a moment, let that reality just kind of sink in a bit. But, but as you do, let this sink in as well. Patmos was also the place where Jesus profoundly unveiled himself to John in, in ways more glorious and profound and clear than when John had seen Jesus face to face. You know, just listen again to this. John hears a voice like a trumpet, God's Word says, and that voice says, write what you see, send it out to the seven churches, and we read this in Revelation 1, verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning it, I saw these seven golden lampstands, and right in the middle of the lampstands was this one like a son of man. He was clothed with a long robe. Can you picture it? With a golden sash around his chest. And I really, I need to warn you now, we imagine John saying, I need to warn you. My words are not going to do justice to what I saw. I'll try to express it as best as I can. I'm trying to describe to you really the indescribable. Verse 14, the hairs of his head, they were white, like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. And I need you to know that when I saw him, I really didn't do any talking. I was mute. I was like a dead man. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died and behold, take a real good look. That's what behold means. Behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys to death in Hades. So, John, you're going to be okay. 
And so is my church eternal. It might look right now, John, like Rome is winning the battle. They are not going to win the war. In fact, my news to you, my reminder to you is this. The war, in fact, it's already over. We have already won. You know, it's very important to note that as we look at this unveiling of Jesus to John, that at the culmination of this incredible experience and vision of Christ, not one single thing has changed in John's physical circumstances. He's still stuck on Patmos. And Rome is still seemingly doing whatever it wants. But something clearly has changed in John. It's like he is taking a stand. He has come alive. He has something to say. John now has a message. He now has a mission for bringing the word to God, word of God to his people and the gospel to the world. And really the difference between John the prisoner on Patmos and John the pastor, poet, and prophet, the difference, what changed things was seeing Jesus alive and victorious, right before him. To put in the phrasing that we've been using recently, Jesus has again become to John just a living, bright reality. And this is what John saw. Away from his churches, not knowing what was happening in all this or how they were doing, he sees really the penetrating, attentive eyes of Christ. He sees this rock-solid, burnished bronze, unshakable feet of his Lord because Jesus is the solid rock. He is our cornerstone. Maybe you saw, sang that hymn growing up as well, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. That's what John saw and experienced in that moment, the strong feet of Jesus. So what did he see again? Here again in verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw these seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, Jesus. And then the end of verse 20. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay, so the first thing John sees is Jesus, and he's standing among these seven golden lampstands. And verse 20 tells us that the lampstands symbolize the seven churches. Okay, which rather, it refers both to the seven churches there in Asia Minor. But as we noted last weekend, the number seven in Scripture, it also refers to completeness, to perfection. So the picture here also is that Jesus is standing right in the middle of his church global eternal. I mean, we need to know this, and especially if we are struggling with a Patmos experience. We need to know and be assured that the Lord of the church, he is with the church. He is with you, his child. He is still Emmanuel. He's God with us. He is right in the middle of our discouragement, our pain, our aloneness, our confusion. He is right in the middle of our mess because he stands resolute, really powerful with us. And I know this. I mean, you might feel like the darkness around you is kind of just veiling his lovely face, but he is present. 
He is our rock. He's our cornerstone. And friends, he's here. Again, you might not be asking today, is it worth it? But at some point, that question might come up for you. So really, I want to declare to you today, as we're moving into this book, what Abraham, Moses, Mary, and John would declare to you today, if, if they were right here to do it. And it's simply this. At the very center of this universe, there is one who is the first and last and living one. He is the one who died, but who is alive forevermore. He is the lamb who was slain. And one day, you and I will behold that lamb. You and I will behold him. And on that day, can you imagine it? He will speak to you face to face. Can you imagine? On that day, every doubt and question and fear you had about whether it was worth it, man, it'll just be blown away. Because you and I will know what Abraham, Moses, and Mary, and John already know. And that is this. That at all, every cost was absolutely worth it. Not because it was necessarily easy. Not because it was particularly fun. Not because it led to great accomplishments or acclaim. But because at the very center of human history stands the Lamb, the one who was slain. And really, this, regardless of what you've had to endure in this life, regardless of what islands of discouragement you have faced, this is going to be the song that you and I will join in declaring with really every creature in heaven on earth. If your faith and trust is in him. For this too is what John saw. Revelation 5:11. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures, the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Verse 13. And I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen? And we will declare, friends, it was worth it. And the wonder and beauty of this is that by work of his Holy Spirit, that Jesus, that King, he invites you right now to receive from him. He invites you to be fed spiritually, to really receive encouragement spiritually from him in this meal. Whatever Patmos you might be experiencing or will experience in the time to come. So we, in obedience to that king, the one who we will sing to one day, we come together and break the bread, remembering his body broken for us. We lift the cup, remembering his blood poured out for us. And Father, we pray in this meal you would feed us with it. You know what we're each facing. You know the challenges, the burdens. And so we come wanting to receive from you. So feed us in this meal, we pray, and ask it in the authority of his name. Amen. So can I invite you to do this, friends? Will you take the cup before you and tear out that top portion? Take off the piece of bread. And as you hold it, 
before you. Let us declare in joy and hope the body of Christ broken for you. Receive from your king. And then will you take the cup? And we take this cup thinking towards that day when we will join with every creature in heaven and earth and even under the earth, in the sea and all that is there, singing his praises because the blood of Christ was poured out for you. So receive from him. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Before we sing some words of praise to our king, will you bow your heads with me? And before I pray, let me just prompt you with those two important questions we often ask around here. Can you think on this for a moment? Just that simply, what is God saying to me? What is God saying to me? And then that second question, what am I going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? And Father, as that old hymn expresses, our hope truly, it is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So when the darkness we experience in this life really does seem to veil his lovely face, I pray by work of your spirit, you would lead us to rest truly on his grace, his unchanging grace. Even now, please lead us, we pray to him, to our cornerstone, for we lift to him and to you this song of praise. Amen.
in their reality this week. And, and do encourage you to come back next weekend. Next weekend, we're going to move into the letters to the seven churches and hear what God would be saying to us today, really through them. And again, this is a time when our service just shifts from this gathering into hanging out together, fellowship. So hope you can hang around, maybe even head out to the serving tables out there to get information or check, see if God might prompt you to serve in some way in this. We'd love to have that be the case for you. And really, as you walk in this week, whatever it will hold for you, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of his Holy Spirit this week, truly, you may abound in hope. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's walk in that grace. Amen. <laughs>